This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you the reality is usually scoffed at, and illusion is usually king. We're live on iHeartRadio, on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dogs. Shoot me an email. The address is right now, Jim Dogs at gmail.com. Or call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Two four five zero seven five zero. Well, lots of talk and theories about what exactly happened at that uh, explosion in the Port of Beirut. Uh, I I think I've got a solid theory. I, I think that. Um, the uh, Hezbollah was taking in a lot of missiles right there in the port uh, from Iran and that uh, either they went up accidentally, which I think is less likely. I think it's more likely that uh, they were taken out because there have in the last week been a lot of hostilities along the Lebanon-Israeli borders uh, with the Hezbollah trying to set up missile batteries on their side of the border and uh, Israel doing incursions to to take out those batteries and destroy uh, tunnels under the uh, the border. And uh, we know that uh, they have been stockpiling missiles on that port. If you look at the video, there is a major explosion prior to uh, the, the, the huge, monstrous explosion. And I think these idiots were uh, storing these missiles uh, close by that, uh, that 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate that's just been sitting in a hangar for six years, degrading and becoming uh, ever more volatile. I know that there are other theories out there. That's my theory. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to continue to dig into this and try to get to the bottom of it. I doubt very seriously that if uh, those missiles were taken out and uh, started that uh, initial explosion, which ignited ultimately uh, the ammonium nitrate, that uh, that it was, you know, that they knew about the ammonium nitrate and, and the larger, uh, really devastating explosion that would happen. But I'll continue to dig into that and look at it. Uh, that's my theory uh, right now, and uh, that's that's the theory that I'm going on. Uh, yesterday, Sally Yates, Lindsey Graham finally... Uh, you know, continued with his two-year-long promise, now almost two-year-long promise, to to uh, start having hearings about the Russiagate. He put us off for the longest time saying he wasn't going to 
He wasn't going to dig into this while this was an active investigation. Uh, he finally got off of that when uh, everybody pointed out that uh, that he was dragging his feet and being, uh, you know, totally worthless Lindsey Graham. And uh, so they called Sally Yates to the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. She appeared by Zoom. I'm having a hard time understanding why so many uh, government agencies, including the uh, Biden campaign, are using a Zoom uh, as a, a method of communications when we know that it is a uh, highly compromised uh, platform that is uh, based, its servers are based in communist China. But it was a... It was Sally Yates did her best to try to make it as boring and uninformative as possible. But uh, I got to admit, Ted Cruz and uh, Senator uh, Kennedy from Louisiana and Josh Hawley did a pretty good job of framing this. It seemed like when you listen to Lindsey Graham, he was doing his best to allow her uh, to wiggle off the hook. Here is uh, Sally Yates telling Ted Cruz that... uh, you know, the, the, the surveillance, the FISA warrant of Carter Page and the insertion of undercover operatives into the Trump campaign, uh, that wasn't really surveilling the Trump campaign. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Miss um, Yates, when did you first become aware that the Obama administration was surveilling the Donald Trump campaign? The Obama administration was not surveilling the Donald Trump campaign. So a FISA application is not surveillance? The FISA application was for Carter Page, who was a former member of the Trump campaign at that point. So so your testimony is that, that, that the investigation in Carter Page had nothing to do with the Donald Trump campaign? No, I'm suggesting you asked me if we were surveilling the campaign. You, you don't get and it I both said, ways. Is it the campaign or not? Uh, Senator, I'm trying to give you what is the accurate information here. Carter Page was a former member of the Trump campaign at the time that the FISA was initiated. And, and what was the reason for the FISA on Carter Page? Uh, there were a number of reasons. First, we had gotten the information that I was trying to point out here, that the Russians had made the overture that they wanted to be able to assist the Trump campaign. Now, hold on, I said it had nothing to do with the Trump campaign. I said that he was not a member of the Trump campaign at the time that we initiated the FISA. Ms. Yates, in your time at the Department of Justice, are you aware of any other political opponents of President Obama that, that were being surveilled? Again, Senator, if you're talking about the court-authorized sort of- Oh, man. Uh, you know, she did this uh, this little two-step all day long. Uh, the truth of the matter is the reason that they targeted Carter Page was because he was connected to the campaign. And these FISA warrants allow you to uh, capture everybody's communications, both going forward and backward. And every phone call, every text message, every email that Carter Page ever sent uh, were, were sitting in servers. And, uh, and they had access to all of that. And not only that, of course, they had the two-hop rule. They could also look at everybody's phone calls, text messages, and emails that Carter Page spoke with, both forward and backward. 
This is a tiresome uh, little um, shell game that the intelligence agencies continue to use. And I don't know if the elected officials are not allowed to point out the actual nature of these FISA warrants. Uh, Cruz goes on to ask about these uh, insertions of undercover operatives, but uh, we'll move on to uh, to Kennedy's uh, observations of Yates' position that that they weren't uh, they weren't surveilling the Trump campaign. You said that the Steele dossier, um, with hindsight, may not have been completely accurate. You're investigating a president of the United States, and you didn't check to see if it was accurate? Let me put it another way. Let's suppose my staff came to me tomorrow and said, we have, a, uh, I want, we have evidence that Chairman Graham is colluding with China to influence the, the presidential election. <laughs> and uh, I say, okay, what's the basis of that? White House. And they say, uh, we have a reliable source that we can trust, and we want you to call him out. And I go out and call him out with verifying the reliable source. Am Am I not like a rock, only dumber? Isn't that what you did? <laughs> yeah. Uh... They want to wrap this in very calming language that, uh, you know, it was just business as usual. And when they did actually put Sally Yates on the spot, of course, uh, she just said, that, well, she didn't know anything about it. And all this went on with her deputy. Here's a clip from Josh Hawley pointing out that the deputy in her own office was uh, deeply involved in the dissemination of the the so-called steel dossier to the FBI, of course, she's left with no other position than to claim ignorance. I just say in conclusion, Mr. Chairman, that I, we, I seem to detect a pattern here. There's, Ms. Yates testifies she has no idea what her deputy is doing as he facilitates contact between a political party opposition research and the FBI. She has no idea that these, these applications that she signed materially misled a federal court. Just as Rosenstein said, he had no idea. Nobody appears to know anything in this government, and yet somehow a federal court was deliberately and systematically misled so severely that they now say they can't trust anything that the FBI did. If this doesn't call for a cleaning of house at DOJ and the FBI, I don't know what is. And I just know that Bruce Orr is still on the payroll at the Department of justice. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Uh, Sally Yates for her part just came up there and, uh, and prevaricated, uh, dodged anytime they put her on the spot. She, uh, she just said she had no, no, uh, no knowledge of that whatsoever. And, um, and when they brought up the issue of, uh, the entrapment of Michael Flynn, well, she said she had no knowledge of that, that uh, Comey was acting by himself. When you heard about the interview, you got upset, didn't you? I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally. Yes, I was. Okay. Did Comey go rogue? Then you could use that term, yes. There was an example of uh, Lindsey Graham giving, uh, giving Yates uh, an out to claim that she had no knowledge of any of the, all of this. It was um, 
It was more of the usual Obama administration tactic, claiming ignorance. All of this just happened um, organically, and they were really concerned with Carter Page. Carter Page was just an entree into the campaign. If Donald Trump doesn't win re-election, I doubt that we'll ever get to the bottom of this. They say that John Durham's in there digging into it, preparing indictments from a grand jury. I don't know if that's the case. I know that if he rolls it out now, it's going to look uh, highly politicized. The fact that the Trump administration and specifically, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Republican Senate has been so worthless on this is um, frustrating as hell. It's frustrating. (laughs) But I don't know who they're going to call up next. So far, they've called Rosenstein. He did the the old Washington two-step. Now they've got Sally Yates, and she's doing it too. At some point, why wouldn't you go ahead and call James Comey and John Brennan and Jim Clapper? Get them up there and see if they uh, are willing to commit perjury yet again. Well, Joe Biden has announced yesterday that he will not be going to the Democrat National Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to accept the nomination and give a speech that he's going to do that from the basement of his Maryland mansion. (laughs) Maryland mansion. Um, You know, so you've got Donald Trump out there. He's, uh, He's going to state after state. He's taking meetings. He's given campaign speeches he's uh, he's on the ground all over the place joe biden's locked down in his basement and he's not even going to go to milwaukee to accept the nomination and uh the new york times was uh, bemoaning this fact talking about what a great retail politician joe biden is and uh how this is uh you know really uh putting a, a damper on his campaign great retail politician my butt. This is Joe Biden's third run for the presidency. He never has gotten out of single digits. And uh, during the time before the coronavirus in this campaign, he made a habit of about every other day insulting voters. You remember when he was in Iowa, he called that uh, that guy that was attending one of his campaign uh, events and uh, saying that he intended to vote for him. He called him fat. And then uh, just yesterday, he called that that uh, black journalist that was uh, uh, interviewing him from the uh, the warm confines of his basement called him a junkie. Uh, ask him if uh, if he if he's a junkie. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are you a junkie? What do you say? <laughs> There's two reasons they can't let Joe out of the basement. One, he, he's um, he's elderly, and, uh, you know, if he catches this virus, it's not going to be good for him. And two, he keeps saying things like that and things like this. You remember when he was uh, campaigning up in Michigan and meeting with some United Auto Workers. One of the workers had the uh, nerve to ask him about his stance on the Second Amendment. 
that have been working countless hours under the Trump administration. I'd like you to explain how you plan to not only keep us working, but how you intend on getting the union vote when there is a large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts and you are actively trying to diminish our Second Amendment right and take away our guns. You're full of shit. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. <laughs> He went on in that same clip to to offer to take this young, uh, fit construction worker out back. He wanted to step outside. And then we've got the famous um, incident in. Um, where was this? This was a uh, thing. This was up in New Hampshire. That's right. It's a campaign event. This is a woman that's uh, attending because she supports him and asks this question. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a little bit confusing. <laughs> Oh my God! A young supporter of his, she calls him. He calls her a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. You know, I don't think this is going to work out too well for the Biden campaign if he's going to allow Trump to have the field. Trump's going to be in a position to hammer him on his positions on China, on his obvious corruption, on the terrible uh, economy that he and the Obama administration had put together. We're going to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Mojo. So the president, uh, it's a, I guess it was uh, about a week ago, was uh, holding a news conference, and they were talking about China, and uh, the president hung the disastrous trade relationship that we have had with China up until his administration right around Joe Biden's neck. The effort to give China permanent, most favored nation status, which is a tremendous advantage for a country to have. Few countries have it. But the United States doesn't have it, never did, probably never even asked for it because they didn't know what they were doing. As Vice President Biden was a leading advocate of the Paris Climate Accord, which was unbelievably expensive to our country, would have crushed American manufacturers while allowing China to pollute, pollute the atmosphere with impunity. Yet one more gift from Biden to the Chinese Communist Party. You know, I wish the president would get off these tangents, focus on his opponent. Of course, he's got to deal with the the uh, infection, the election infection. But uh, Joe Biden, uh, you don't need to talk about his mental acuity. That's obvious that he's in decline. Uh, hit him on the actual issues that uh, that he was part of for 47 years in Washington, D.C., that uh, wrecked our economy. And uh, and allowed the jobs that were remaining here in the country to be taken by low wage illegal immigration. But 
<laughs> During that same interview where he questioned whether or not the uh, the black reporter was a junkie, he did address China. And uh, Joe doesn't exactly have his lines straight when it comes to responding to his history on China. The way Trump, the way China will respond is when we gather the rest of the world that, in fact, believes in in, free, in 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 open trade and making sure that we're in a position that the world uh, that that we deal with WHO the right way. That that in fact, that's when things begin to change. That's when China. That's when uh, China's behavior is going to change. The way. <laughs> Oh, my God. What the hell did he just say? Uh, he drugged the WHO in on this. The trade relationship with China is r- related to the WHO. And as soon as we get back into the WHO, then China will act right. I mean, that, you know, it's hard to make sense of what he's saying. You could have said it in about four words. He went on for a minute uh, and never made himself clear. But that that if if you decipher it, break it down, diagram the sentences. Uh, he's saying if we get back in the WHO, then China will act right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the, they've got to keep him out of Wisconsin. They've got to keep him away, hidden hidden away. I doubt after the performance on yesterday's uh, uh, so-called news conference with the uh, black journalists, that uh, he's going to be doing any more of those either. Well, let's go up to the great state of Michigan where uh, the Democrat governor, I think the legislature in Michigan is actually controlled by the Republicans, but uh, Gretchen Whitmer is, uh, is the, is the Democrat governor. Uh, yesterday, she declared that uh, racism Today, I also signed is a an public executive health directive crisis. declaring racism as a public health crisis in Michigan. I want to thank the Michigan Legislative Black Council for their leadership. This pandemic has confirmed and highlighted the deadly nature of these pre-existing inequities caused by systemic racism. Caused, these are uh, pre-existing inequities caused by systemic racism. You will notice in the rest of this clip, she never says what exactly this systemic racism is. We have a lot of work to do to eradicate the systemic racism that black Americans have faced for generations. It's going to take time. But the most important thing we can do during this time is work closely with leaders across the state in every community to find the root cause of problems and work to eradicate them. Well, we know there's systemic racism, so we have to find out where it is. What she's done is she said that, uh, you know, they're being hammered harder by the the woo flu uh, than any other group. And so white people's racism is the fault of that. Not the fact that uh, as a group, blacks have uh, more underlying health conditions, including obesity and diabetes. No, that can't be it. It has to be white people's fault. Because if there are any inequities, of course, it's because of those evil white people and their whiteness. Nothing is ever the fault of these Democrat politicians. And uh, there's a, you know, a prime example there, uh, there right in New York City. Bill de Blasio was appearing on Wolf Blitzer's show uh, saying that the increase in crime and all of the economic collapse in New York City, well, it's not my fault. 
According to statistics just released by the New York uh, Police Department, shooting incidents in New York City uh, in July were up 177 percent over July of last year. Murders were up by nearly 59 percent. Burglaries up 31 percent over July of 2019. Uh, are you failing? What's going on? Uh, are you keeping New York City uh, residents safe right now? Look, we have the strongest police department in the whole country, but we are seeing this all over cities all over the nation. Uh, it's Democrat cities all over the nation. It's been a massive dislocation. Uh, people don't have jobs. Uh, there isn't school. Uh, there aren't you know, houses of worship until recently weren't open. And you t- Those houses of worship weren't open. You shut them down while still allowing mass protests to go on the street. You shut down the churches. Talk about every element of our society, Wolf. Uh, this is what's contributing to this massive surge that we're all experiencing. But the NYPD is fighting back. We put a variety of new strategies. The NYPD is collapsing under the leadership of Bill de Blasio, who has made it impossible to do their job, undermine them at every turn. He says he's got to have a federal bailout or he's going to lay off 22,000 city workers. But he's got the budget to uh, put 28 officers guarding his Black Lives Matter graffiti that he painted on the street in front of Trump Tower. we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Ian Murray to talk about his new book, The Temptation of Socialism, or The Socialist Temptation, right after these messages on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Stick with us. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Well, just 30 years ago, the Soviet Union had collapsed, and socialism seemed utterly discredited and relegated to the ash heap of history. And rightly so, the Soviet Union was an economic basket case and an oppressive regime that denied basic freedoms to its citizens trapped behind the Iron Curtain. Sadly, though, people who fail to learn their history are doomed to repeat it, and socialism has come roaring back with a vengeance. Now a generation who didn't live through the misery that socialism inflicted on Russia and Eastern Europe are embracing Marx's failed ideology right here in America, seemingly oblivious to the prosperity and freedoms that America's free markets have showered upon them. To discuss this, we're joined now by Ian Murray, a senior fellow 
at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and author of the new book, The Socialist Temptation, available now on Amazon. And you can get it directly from Ian at SocialistTemptation.com. Ian, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you today. You know, we've had communists in this country uh, going all the way back to the uh, to the Russian Revolution in the early part of the 20th century. But never have we had a whole generation so ignorant of its reality. How did we get to this point where we've got protesters in the streets waving uh, hammer and sickle flags? Well, one of the problems with socialism, Jim, is that it always seems to start with a blank slate every new generation. There's an identifiable phenomenon that, that, that goes on here, which is that a socialist state gets set up and everybody says, this is it, this is socialism, this is real socialism. We have the, uh, the, the, the new dawn, the utopia, the international brother of man is here at last. And everybody uh, uh, is, it, it cheers uh, at, at the creation of this new state. Then the, the internal contradictions of socialism that I talk about in The Socialist Temptation, they start to, to, to hurt. And so the wheels start to come off the economy, at which point they turn around and say, well, no, this can't be the fault of socialism because socialism is perfect. So therefore, it must be the fault of uh, for, uh, foreign agents or saboteurs or wreckers or the CIA. That's actually where we are with Venezuela at the moment. Uh, socialists say that what's wrong with, uh, with Venezuela is all caused by the CIA. And then finally, you get to the stage where everything's gone to heck in a handbasket. The, uh, the, the, the uh, economy is completely collapsed. Many, many thousands may have died as a result of, uh, of, of, of this collapse. And they turn around and they say, that wasn't real socialism. Real socialism has never been tried. So those of us who remember the Soviet Union, we can, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face, but the socialists will, will just deny and say, no, no, that wasn't real socialism. And unfortunately, that, uh, they tend to be believed rather than those of us uh, with our lying eyes. Well, Senator Sanders and the Bernie bros would tell you that's not the socialism he's talking about. He's talking about the socialism of uh, Finland and the Scandinavian countries. Uh, is that uh, a legitimate argument? Well, it's very interesting that if you actually, uh, if, if, if you look at what uh, the economies of, uh, of Sweden in particular and the, uh, and, the, and the other Scandinavian countries are like, you you re- and, and their history, you realize that, that uh, these used to be fully socialist countries, but they, uh, they rejected socialism. They realized that uh, the bit of socialism they liked was the large welfare state, but they couldn't pay for that with the depressed economy of, uh, of, of, a, of, of, a, of a socialist economy. So in the 1970s, most of these countries actually rejected uh, the sort of micromanaging, bureaucratic control uh, and public ownership that Bernie is talking about for the rest of the economy. They rejected that and replaced it with uh, a much more deregulated, privatized, free market economy uh, in order to provide uh, the, the tax base to pay for their welfare state. They're, they're so obviously cut- just uh, actually uh, capitalist nations with uh, generous welfare benefits. That's exactly it. And, uh, it, and if you uh, said to a Swede, uh, would you like to introduce uh, the, the, these, uh, these reforms that Bernie is talking about, uh, they would almost certainly say absolutely not. Uh, we like, for instance, our school choice. The teachers' unions like the school choice. Uh, but you want, to, uh, you want to ban school choice? No thanks, they'd say. Well, this socialist temptation is uh, suddenly uh, 
overwhelmingly powerful among young people, especially educated young people. And I wonder if uh, if this indoctrination that goes on in our universities happened um, organically by accident or if there was a, a plan behind a, a long march through our universities. Well, yes, I think uh, I think that's very much the case in, in the in the socialist temptation. I I do talk about the, uh, the the long march through the institutions. There is, you know, this this idea that uh, in, in in order to secure uh, a socialist future, you have to take over uh, the institutions of the of the liberal capitalist economy, uh, and obviously the academic institutions are uh, you know, the, the, the first choice. You know. Uh, give me give them give me them when they're young, as uh, as uh, every indoctrinaire type has always said uh, throughout history. It's got to the stage now where the second most prescribed text in all of uh, all of college syllabuses across uh, the United States is actually Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, and it's not being prescribed in economics classes because the economists actually are. Still know how that, that it's it's junk economics, Discredited. but it's being prescri- prescribed in history. It's being described in uh, being prescribed in English classes, being uh, prescribed in sociology and anthropology, uh, and in any class that has the name studies after it. Uh, the Communist Manifesto is being forced down our children's throats. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I got out of the Navy. 1983 and went to Georgia State University, took a world history class, and was assigned the Communist Manifesto as a midterm essay. Uh, being a good American and a believer in the free markets, I, I wrote sort of a repudiation of uh, Marx's uh, screed. And uh, when I turned it in, I got it back uh, with a marked in bold red pen, stop screaming at me, and, uh, and got an F for the paper. I looked into you know who, in fact, this professor was and learned that he had his doctorate in Russian studies. Unfortunately, the, 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 this this is the case now. Uh, as, as I described in the chapter about the, the, the long march of the institutions, uh, the, 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 uh, there has been an, an attempt to place uh, place these uh, uh, the, these doctrinaire Marxists not just in teaching positions, but in, increasingly in in administrative and bureaucratic positions, uh, whereby they can then control uh, what what personnel uh, the university hires. And the result of that has been a, a, a precipitous decline in the number of university professors who de- uh, describe themselves as conservative or even moderate, and a vast increase in those uh, who re- uh, regard themselves as uh, very left-wing as opposed to uh, moderately left-wing. Uh, th- th- this, is, this is no accident. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a story in the news today out of Murray State University in Ohio where an economics professor there is trying to uh, teach a a course that uh, refutes the Communist Manifesto. He's being denied uh, by the rest of the the faculty, and they're they're saying that, um, you know, his his right to teach uh, free markets – is uh, is not allowed at Murray State University. So you just wonder how deeply the Frankfurt School has infected these universities and how we can possibly turn that around. You raise a very good point there when, when you talk about uh, he has no right to teach. Um, in the social uh, temptation, I talk about how um, 
the word right is being redefined, and especially when it comes to free speech and free inquiry. Um, to, to, uh, to a socialist, there is no right uh, to free speech unless it uh, addresses some sort of power imbalance, uh, some sort of racial or class power imbalance. Uh, so, so you have the right to protest. That's, uh, that's exercise of free speech. You do not have the right to defend the power imbalance. As they as they view it, so that means that the that the traditional American definition of free speech is just being uh, completely rewritten uh, across uh, academia and uh, increasingly uh, across our, uh, our public square. So, uh, the, the, there's a fundamental attack uh, on uh, on the concept of uh, of the right to uh, to free speech, free thought, and free inquiry. Well, you worry that if uh, a whole generation, actually two generations now, have been indoctrinated with this uh, Marxist poison, how we possibly uh, get a uh, Margaret Thatcher Britain and saw some of this yourself when uh, when the Iron Lady came in and turned it around. Did you take any lessons there on how we might extricate ourselves from this bind we're in? Well, unfortunately, the the, the, the main lesson from uh, from, from the, the, the collapse of socialist Britain is that uh, is that so, uh, the, the socialist economy uh, will always collapse, uh, and that will mean that people will be looking for for, for, for something different. That you know, they will turn back uh, to liberalism and free markets. Um, to try, to try and stop it before we get to that stage, however, is a much more difficult task. Uh, one of the things I, I say in the social temptation is that so, uh, is that socialism uh, is speaking at a different level uh, to people than those of us uh, who support free enterprise and free markets tend to speak. We tend to speak in terms of, of economics and history and, uh, and and the like. They talk in terms of values. They say. America is not a fair society. Your value is, uh, you, you really value fairness, don't you? Well, socialism can provide a fair society. Uh, and, and, and so they're speaking at a, at, at a different level. So I think we really need to start speaking at, at, at that level uh, and, and talk about the, the, the values of fairness, freedom, and community that, that, that most Americans subscribe to. Well, what you describe there is the cult, uh, cultural Marxism that the Frankfurt School realize was um, you know key to implementing the the economic basis of marxism um and you see uh these kids have adopted this uh, this identity of victimhood uh and they believe that uh that socialism is the way to address this you wonder how many examples of of socialism failure uh you know soviet union um uh, Southwest Asia, Cuba, Venezuela, just about everywhere it's been ch- tried, uh, it has resulted in tyranny and, uh, and math, mass deaths. Uh, I know it, at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, you guys are pushing back on this. Uh, how can we inject uh, you know, traditional free markets and, uh, and freedoms into the popular culture ourselves? Well, one of the, 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 the ways to do that is to, to talk about how uh, free markets and free enterprise actually uh, provide a much fairer society 
than, uh, than, than the alternatives. You know, the alternative is a society ruled by bureaucrats. A society, uh, Animal Farm is a great example of, uh, of, of what, the, uh, what the socialist uh, state wants, wants to provide at, uh, at, uh, you know, that speaks at, at that values level. Uh, you will always end up in a socialist state with, with, with uh, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Whereas uh, if you look at, the his, uh, at, at, at how uh, markets and, and free enterprise work, they uh, actually promote cooperation and have, uh, have a, a, a significant leveling effect. Uh, they, 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 raise, uh, they raise people up rather than pull others down. And that's the sort of thing that we, that, that we need to be emphasizing when we're talking about markets. It's uh, how, how markets uh, really help, uh, help people cooperate and live with one another. So the work you do at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, that's a libertarian think tank. Um, have you guys ever thought about organizing some um, film festivals uh, to, to show these, uh, you know, uh, movies, Animal Farm and, and others that uh, point that uh, illustrate the reality of Marxism and uh, and and, you know, start pushing this out into the, the public square? That, 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 that's, a, uh, that's a very good idea. Our friends at the Foundation for Economic Education are really the masters of this. They, the, uh, the FEE.org, uh, they, um, they hold film festivals around the country. And uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute, we actually did a, uh, a, a movie a few years ago called I Pencil. Uh, it's it, it's uh, available on YouTube. If you search for eye pencil on YouTube, you can find it. And it talks about uh, the, uh, how uh, everything comes together in free markets without uh, the the, the uh, requirement for a socialist planning mastermind. Everything still comes together uh, th- through freedom and voluntary cooperation uh, for mutual benefit. Uh, and uh, and, and Produces the, uh, the, the the cup the, the cup of coffee that, that that we have in the morning and the pencil we use to write with. You know, I know that uh, academic freedom and tenure have become sacrosanct in this country, but I it, it blows my mind when you see uh, taxpayers funding uh, these uh, these uh, universities that are indoctrinating our children with this poisonous ideology. Uh, do you think there's a place for government to uh, start restoring some balance and uh, and pushing back on these uh, these socialist professors? Uh, I'd, I'd much rather that, that we uh, uh, we the consumers uh, d- did that ourselves. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of trying to restrict, <laughs> trying to promote free speech by restricting uh, restricting speech. I think that the, the one one of the few bright spots. Well, we don't have to restrict it, it, but do we have to fund it? Well, they're, they're, uh, they're, this this is, I think, where uh, where we, the consumer, as with our power of the purse, can really uh, really do something here. Um, it, one of the few bright spots I think that might come out of this coronavirus uh, uh, chaos that we have at the moment is that people will realise that there's why on earth are they uh, are they paying twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars a year to send their children. Uh, to, to send our children to universities where they're just being uh, indoctrinated, and this is only happening over uh, over, uh, over uh, the internet now, over Zoom classes. Hopefully, people will will, will realise that they need to uh, need to stop funding 
these universities with their own purse. And if that hits uh, the university so they can't afford all these uh, administrative staff who are, who are imposing uh, the, the, these requirements on everybody else, then perhaps we'll see a major shake-up in universities and break the stranglehold the socialists have over them. Well, I know uh, the libertarian uh, beliefs don't uh, allow for you know people to uh, to restrict and uh, and uh, mandate, but uh, I just worry that you know if you're up against an opponent that is uh, that is totally committed to restrictions and mandates that uh, you're in a losing battle before the first shot is fired. Well, indeed, we, 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 we are fighting with one hand tied behind our back. But that's, uh, uh, to, to me, that's what freedom requires. Uh, you know, that, that uh, if, if, if we're going to, uh, if, if freedom is going to, going to win, it has to win with one hand tied behind its back. Mm-mm-mm. Ian Murray, a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and author of the new book, The Socialist Temptation. You can get it on Amazon or you can go directly to Ian's site, socialisttemptation.com. That's socialisttemptation.com. You can also follow the work of the Competitive Enterprise Institute by going to cei.org. That's cei.org. Mr. Murray, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back and talk again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime, Jim. Mojo. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Well, well, well. <clears throat> so that's an uplifting conversation. I, uh, you know, uh, I believe in a lot of libertarian principles. Uh, I've just... Uh, not confident that we're at the point now where we can uh, fight with one hand behind our back and win this this war. I think it may have gone too far. So Bill de Blasio was on TV saying the rise in crime is not his fault. Uh, he needs a twenty uh, a, a huge bailout from the federal government. Other, he's going to be forced to lay off twenty two thousand workers, and he's threatening the the people of New York with uh, greater pain by laying off police officers and firefighters. And, um, and Rudolph Giuliani, uh, he, he, uh, he doesn't subscribe to that belief. He went on and told de Blasio and, uh, and Andrew Como exactly where they're going wrong. By the way, when you don't prosecute the small property crimes, those people who do it start doing bigger property crimes. It's called the broken windows theory, which they also oppose and want to do away with black lives matter and Soros. 
agenda, same agenda. They both want to do away with bail, right out of the Black Lives Matter handbook. They want to let people out of prison. Black, Black Lives Matter playbook. George Soros is funding this Marxist, terrorist-inspired document. The Marxists are the three people who founded this thing, and the terrorist is Susan Rosenberg, who raises money for them, who should be in jail, who got a 50-year, 58-year sentence for being involved in an organization named Black Panthers who used to kill police officers. That's what this is all about, Black Lives Matters. That's why I don't see how you can prosecute somebody for wanting to remove it from the streets of their city. I don't want a group that hates white people, that hates America, that wants to destroy our system of government, that has been organized by Marxists and funded by terrorists. I don't want that seen by my children. And, and, they, and, and the DA there, Becton, Soros paid for DA, wants to prosecute the people, or is prosecuting the people, who did it for a hate crime. This is a hate crime. Black Lives Matter. It's dedicated to hate. Read what they write. Don't listen to the corrupt media that covers up for them. Read what they write and look at what they do. Yeah, this economic Marxism is, uh, is being um, foisted upon the American people through cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is the victim ideology that they have wrapped it in. They've carefully used, uh, uh, perverted the language by calling a, a Marxist organization Black Lives Matter. Well, you can't agree, disagree with Black Lives Matter. If you disagree with Black Lives Matter, then you are a racist. And that's why they're so desperate to keep anybody from saying, yes, Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. No, just Black Lives Matter. You've got to repeat the mantra and they've got professional sports, NBA, NFL, MLB, and now the National Hockey League, too, bowing in subservience. Grown men, <laughs> grown men, millionaires, most of them, I guess all of them are millionaires, bowing before this Black Lives Matter Marxist ideology. The good news, I guess, uh, you know, if you follow uh, Murray's argument, is the uh, the market uh, for sports, even after all the pent up demand from the uh, the the Wu flu, the Chinese virus, the ratings are crashing for professional sports. The one bright spot was the NHL, and then we got to tune into a game out of Las Vegas where the uh, the uh, Blue Jackets and the opposing team were all, not all, but most, kneeling to the Black Lives Matter ideology. You wonder where all this stops. The, uh, the, the academics that are trying to, to break through with a little bit of the truth are being suppressed and censored. On social media recently, Heather McDonald, who has uh, documented that the whole Black Lives Matter argument that white police officers are killing unarmed black suspects in large numbers, she's thoroughly and completely debunked that. And so what do they do? Well, over at YouTube and on Facebook and Twitter, they have they have uh, removed her latest video that showed that. I have got a, a clip here of Heather McDonald. I think she's speaking. You have every single corporation. She's speaking with the Epoch Times. You have every single. 
I'm sorry about that. Uh, she's speaking with the Epoch Times, a um, sort of an exile Chinese uh, paper that is pushing back against communism. Here's what Heather McDonald had to say. You have every single corporation, every single investment bank, every single nonprofit, every single symphony, every single art museum repeating this idea that blacks today live under the tyranny of the police. The result, we're already seeing it. Cops are, are backing off in protest, understandably, because policing is political. If they're being told it's, it's racist to police in inner city communities, it is appropriate that they do less of it. That's the political message they're getting. Policing is a political function. But we are going to move into a crime surge that is going to dwarf what we saw in 2015 and 2016. Well, we're already moving into that crime surge. And, uh, you know, when they question the mayors of these Democrat cities, they say, oh, well, it's because of COVID. It's not because I did away with uh, bail through so-called bail reform legislation. It's not that we're turning criminals back out on the streets. It's not that we're demonizing police officers. It's not that we're defunding the police. It's not my fault. And the federal government needs to throw more money at me. In New York, Andrew Cuomo um, is begging people to come back to New York. If you look at photographs, nighttime photographs of Manhattan, you will see that these buildings where people are supposed to be locked inside are mostly dark. There's a, a few lights left, but mostly dark in the canyons of Manhattan. And that is an indication that uh, these people have left town. And if you look at the, uh, the rising uh, reality market, you will see that many of them have no intention of ever coming back. The discredited health director there in New York City who was originally telling people, oh, yeah, you can continue to go to your parades and festivals when the, the virus was ravaging New York City. She's now quit and said that uh, de Blasio was, in fact, tying her hands and re- uh, preventing her from being able to, to do the job. I don't know how much more of an oppressive regime she would want, but she, uh, she has got the hell out of town herself. Here is uh, de Blasio saying we got to we got to have a bailout may have to do as many as layoffs of 22,000 city employees from every department by October 1st. If I don't get federal help, I want federal help. I want the taxpayers who don't come from insane jurisdictions to send me money so that I can channel more of it to my political cronies, of course. His wife was put in charge of mental health there in New York and squandered, I think it was almost $500 million. None of it has been accounted for. She can't show where any of this money went. So I guess if we're going to keep with Murray's free market uh, ideology, we're going to have to just let them suffer the consequences of their actions, not only in New York City, but in all of these blue states. And maybe, maybe the voters will be snapped out of a stupor and start voting some of these idiots out. 
Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more.